check is flat. Give me up. Look at Bill! Look at Bill! This is the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. He's been broken three times. He refuses to give in. He might do it. Look at that guy. Look at Black Zero. Oh, my God. Welcome back to Seconds Flat. In mile 85, we are continuing where we left off last week and discussing warm-up and racing strategies for the mile. Before we get back to that, I'd like to share a couple quick updates. We need to congratulate a few friends of the show on outstanding recent performances. First, at the Myrtle Beach Marathon earlier this month, we had PR races and top 10 finishes from Kyle Kugler and Eddie Posey. Our guy Eddie is out there lighting up the Masters circuit. And this past weekend in Cleveland, Tennessee, James Quattlebaum scorched the track for an Olympic trials qualifying mark in the steeplechase. So kudos to them. Next time on Mile 86, we'll be catching up with Furman University star miler Ryan Adams. Ryan has his sights set on the upcoming NCAA championships and Olympic trials. Also, last weekend, Ryan's teammate Gabby Jennings set a new school women's 5,000-meter record of 15.33, and Gabby also has the Olympic trials steeplechase standard. We can't wait to watch her chase a national championship starting May 27th with the East prelims. Now, without further delay, here's mile 85 of Seconds Flat. Okay, Cosmo, we're back for mile 85. Picking up where we left off on mile racing strategy last week, we touched on some tips for your training to prepare you for the day. Now let's go to actual race day. We are still coming to you from the bowels of the San Suchi studio late at night. <laughs> I think we're in, we're in right now lap three of the mile. Yeah. And that's when you start to find a dark place. You do. that. You have so often made a mistake earlier on mm-hmm. in that race and lap three is a widow maker and it's a king maker yeah so we'd like to give you some ideas on how you can better handle the lead up to it so that you can close stronger like we're going to do on this episode for you uh, let's go to the warm-up cosmo let's do it we do some things here that might be a little bit different than the ordinary but they're not extreme outliers It just seems like a logical sequence in that first in warming up for the mile, we want to warm up the engine. Mm -hmm. I like this to happen, I'm going to say 50-ish minutes out. It could be less, it could be more, and that depends on you and the conditions you're racing in. There's there's a number of factors there, but ballpark range, 50-ish. We're going to start with a jog. Uh, Depending on the athlete and the weather... We're going anywhere from a mile to 20 minutes. Okay. Now, you did yours, uh, You when we time-trialed for you last year, it was on the track. You did an extensive warm-up just there at the track. Yeah. Uh, just started with this easy jogging. Where do you stand on the pre-mid-distance race amount of jogging you like? 
similar to what you do for, say, a 5K or a 10K? Or did you feel like, um, I'm ready to move into the quicker stuff? Mm, good question. Man, I don't know that I'm experienced enough to know what I like yet. Um, oh, that's a fair point. Yeah. On, on warm-ups. But um, I, I would say that I prefer a significant amount of light jogging. I thought you would answer that way. I actually really like your first answer. I think it's insightful to say, I'm still learning. We all are. Yeah. There's time to grow and do it better and master it once you've... It's it's like we talked about in our recent episode about the marathon, about figuring out nutrition, for yeah. example, right? Yeah. Um, it takes time. I thought you would say maybe a longer jog. That's a common answer from someone who is more distance-oriented. Yeah. Yeah. So... I say a mile to 20 minutes, again, dependent on the athlete, but also dependent on weather. Mm-hmm. You had a slightly colder day. It was freezing. <laughs> well, I think literally about freezing 30, temperature. Yes. Yeah. yeah. yeah Which for me is just perfect. Right. That's what I want. Right. I could go colder than that. I don't want to go too much colder for a mile. Yeah. But... For the marathon, sure. But yeah. For the mile. I mean, it, it does a number on your lungs. Yeah. So. Um, it, was, uh, it was a lot. That's a common thing for a, a distance-based runner, yeah. particularly in colder conditions. Mm-hmm. But you have to be cautious of that on a really hot day. We just want to get the body temperature up, and we don't want to go crashing through and, and get way too hot. Yeah, uh, This can be a big thing for track, You know, the time of year we're in now as high school and college age athletes move towards their big competitions, mm-hmm. professionals move toward the Olympic trials, you might get a really steamy day. And I use an, actually I'll use a marathon example here. So it's different because you really don't have to warm up quite as much, but yeah, great biography. Uh, I believe the title is from last to first by Charlie Spedding. Charlie Spedding was a British marathoner who meddled at LA in 84. You can get the 84 LA marathon, men's marathon on YouTube. The 84 men's Olympic marathon before the gun goes off, it is, it's just scorching hot. And when you watch the race, you can see it affecting some of the best runners in the world. Okay. You know, this is a race where people thought we would be looking to guys like Salazar and Seiko and Di Castella, and as it unfolds, you start to see guys just kind of wilt. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, all kinds of factors in that, of course, but the weather certainly was one. Yeah. Spedding, what did he do during warm-up time? He stayed down underneath, I think he was underneath the parking garage. He might have been underneath the uh, L.A. Coliseum. I can't remember now. But he essentially said, it is so darn hot. Mm-hmm. I'll trot around for a little while and get loose, Mm -hmm. but I'm staying out of the sun. I'll warm up the first few miles of the race. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Marathoning, there's some truth to that. Just warm up for the first few miles. Mm -hmm. Now, you can't quite do the same. You got to be ready to go from the gun in in a mile. Yeah. But you can reduce the easy jogging, particularly when it's really hot. It could be as short as five or six minutes, potentially. Mm Mm-hmm. A mile's probably a good low-level barrier for folks. So this is my lower limit if I'm really competitive in a mile. Uh, not, not saying if you're just trying to, to go out and run a mile for the first time, yeah. 
go out and run a mile for the first time. That is in itself a wonderful accomplishment. Now we're looking at someone who wants to try to run a personal best. Yeah. But then what you can do is follow that with the next elements of our warm-up that can still get you race ready, even off a shorter jog. Mm -hmm. Typically, I like to come back from this and go to the dynamic drills, right? So now that we've gotten a little warm, started to get a little loose, we go to our dynamic warm-up. You can check out ours on YouTube, Seconds Flat by Run In. Start to move from smaller to larger ranges of motion and Mm -hmm. getting prepared for the warm-up. Do you have a favorite dynamic drill you like? Because I do. Oh, I like the lateral movements. Lateral movements? Like a uh, snow angel type of thing, maybe? Karaoke? Yeah. I am an iron cross to scorpion Scorpion. guy. That does some things in my psoas that are (laughs) almost inappropriate that I I think it's fantastic. That's silly. Uh, It is. So yeah, dynamic drills next. And then this is essentially broken like a second warm-up almost mm-hmm. now where we're now going to prepare the body for the demands of the race. Yep. So for example, a few short segments of maybe one to up to three minutes at a tempo effort. Again, it's effort. So the pace on these, as you do a couple of them, may progress uh, broken by short jogs. So find what works for you. Maybe you do two minutes on and a minute off or two and two and... You do three of them, okay? Yep. We elevate the the heart rate a little bit. We introduce a little bit of uh, blood lactate. Mm -hmm. We don't spike it, though, because that's what tends to happen at the beginning of these races if you're not prepared. I know. We're going to get there. (laughs) (laughs) And then we may end that with a few longer strides, okay? Longer strides. These aren't just your 10, 15 seconds. They could be 30, 40 potentially even up to a minute uh, of we're going to working just a little faster now, 5K, maybe to 3K okay. effort. At that point, I really like to address any last lingering concerns. This may be the spot for you where you get your spikes on. Mm-hmm. Um, it might be the spot where you think, ah, oh, this one thing's kind of nagging me. It doesn't feel right. I didn't do my iron crosses into my scorpion. I need to loosen that up a little bit more again. Right. It's a good time for that stuff. Last thing we recommend going to then is a few short strides, uh, something in the range of maybe 15 seconds that are at race pace. Mm -hmm. It could even be just a touch faster, um, but in that race pace range. And then we can end that whole process with some very light, easy jogging to stay loose until the gun. Just a couple minutes. And know that, understand that it's okay that you're going to get on the line and have to wait for the race to start. Mm -hmm. You're probably not going to time this up so that you roll right into it. That's okay. Heart rate comes down a little bit. Body temperature comes down a little bit. It's okay. You've done the things necessary to prepare the engine for the race. Yeah. What are some little touches that you like just in general, it doesn't have to be for a mile, but in warming up, things that you keep getting drawn to, Cosmo, that you see, uh, whether they're mental or physical, either one, that support your race preparation. That's a good question. I haven't raced a lot, you know, so uh, I'm I'm learning these things uh, with with every new race. But I'll typically go to things uh, that calm me. Yeah, breath work. Okay. You know, just concentrating on 
breathing slowly and, and deeply. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've, you know, in other areas of life, I've employed that and it has worked for me. So yeah, man, I, I don't have a lot of ceremony around, around race prep, but there's this book. Once a runner has some pretty good, Cassidy has some pretty good race prep that I liked reading in that book. Um, especially when it came down to that last race that he, yeah, against, was it Walton? There are some beautiful passages there. Are there. Some nice ones, yeah. Don't go do the workouts, <laughs> but there are some beautiful passages. Of course, of course. I like what you said, though, about calming yourself. Yeah. Uh, I had someone ask me recently about, you know, do you recommend a, a rah-rah speech? What are the last things you do to get people fired up? And my thought is you should be fired up because you're so excited to race. Right. The firing up's already happened. You should have handled that a day ago. Right. If I were to talk to you... Oh, heck, we've done this when we got ready to get on the line at Toledo. Yep. You know, what's what are the last things we're talking about? We're talking through our nutrition plan again. Mm -hmm. We're talking through where we're going to be at certain places in the race to maybe get a bottle or to take a gel. Yeah. We're taking a moment of thankfulness and gratitude for the opportunity to be there. Yeah. Because that is so significant. And then the last words that I often end with when I'm on the line with friends who we train together is, listen, just trust the training, mm -hmm. trust the taper, because that can be really hard to do. You often feel really weird during a taper, whether That's it's right. for a mile or a marathon. Mm -hmm. Trust the training, trust the taper, and have fun. Mm -hmm. Because at this point, those are the only things you can really worry about. You've done all the work. You're not going to change the work. Yep. And if you can't get fired up to race, you might be in the wrong place. Yeah. Now, there can be very real anxiety issues around racing that maybe we could get into a, another time. Some oh, yeah. techniques you could work on. There's visualization. There's a bunch of things that work for certain people. Yep. But I always tell people, if you're nervous, if you're anxious, it means you care. Yeah. It's a good thing. Throwing up one time's not all that bad. <laughs> Throwing up six times before every race, yeah. eh. It's going to cause some issues. Yeah, it might be a bit much, Yeah, right? But it means you care. Yeah. Uh, so I like that idea of, of calming down, um, yeah. focusing, we could say, on the task at hand in one of my favorite recent running books, Inside a Marathon, Scott Fobble, Ben okay. Rosario, yep. Hoka, Northern Elite, did a great kind of annotated log through their lead up to New York and then Boston. And Fobble has a thought that he goes back to during the race that translates to every racing distance beautifully. As thoughts come into his head during the New York City Marathon, mm -hmm. he repeatedly tells himself something along the lines of, those are just thoughts. Refocus and re-engage on the moment. Mm -hmm. Let those come in and filter out. Yep. Sometimes it's good to disassociate, but in a mile, there's not a lot of time for it. You've got to be ready to re-engage yep. and focus on the task at hand. Uh, with that, let's go ahead to some, some pacing tips. There's a question that needs to be answered before you get on the line for a mile. <laughs> yep. A <laughs> <laughs> couple questions. Yeah. Are you racing to win or are you racing for a personal best? Right. They're not mutually exclusive. Sure. But they they can be at odds. They don't always go together. Mm -hmm. I will say if you're in a race situation 
and you weren't for your big attempt. It was a time trial situation with some guys to run with you to help out. Right. Mm. Uh, to relax, reduce the pressure, and hopefully give you a little bit of pacing, although they got out pretty hot. <laughs> if you are in a racing situation, mm -hmm. sometimes a personal best comes from racing, not just time trialing, mm -hmm. racing the people you're with. Often that approach of just thinking about passing people late and keep setting a target on the next competitor in front of you mm -hmm. can yield you a personal best. Sure. In your case with time trialing, if there's enough guys around you pacing with you, you can still try to work that approach yeah. mentally. Your answer to that question, are you racing or time trialing in your big moment was... I was time trialing. You were time trialing. Yeah, yeah. And I, but even within that context, context I, I wasn't sure mm -hmm. what my time would be. I had, a, I had a couple different goals because I thought I was in one shape. Training might have you know, suggested another. And then conditions day of might have knocked me down another notch. So, you know, I, I had an A goal and a B goal, which, mm -hmm. you know, obviously I, I, B goals just get under five uh, for me on that day. And the... You know, I thought I could run as fast as 440, 445, I think is, is mm -hmm. what we discussed beforehand. But I think having that big of a range at such a quick distance was kind of detrimental to my pacing and my, my thoughts on what each lap should be. A lot of good stuff to unpack there. Yeah. First, I like that you mentioned 5 and 440 were your goals because we'll come back to those. Mm -hmm. They're nice round numbers for us to use. Yeah. That's 75 a lap for five minutes <laughs> or 70 a lap for 440. Yeah. So we can work with those very easily. Mm -hmm. You're right. There was a, a big swing of yeah. potential paces, yeah. but that came from inexperience. We weren't right. exactly sure what to expect. Right. I thought I had a pretty good idea. Mm-hmm. Now, I'll say this. You probably could have run faster that day. You could have. Sure. But there were some minor mistakes early on that led to it. Oh, yeah. But also, oh, yeah. I believe that, and I'm fine with this, you had a little more aggressive sense of what you could accomplish than I did. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to get in the business of telling people with goals you can't reach those goals. Sure. And so I'm trying to thread the needle and strategically support you while trying to give you reasonable advice. Yeah. In any case, in both contexts of racing or time trialing, mm -hmm. most inexperienced or developmental runners, you could be fast and be one of those two things, mm -hmm. uh, in the context of the mile, run the first lap too fast. Mm-hmm. It's the most common air we see. It's the one that just go to a high school track meet yeah. and just have this in your mind and then watch the first lap and be like, oh man, how many of these guys are just going to blow up? <laughs> yeah. And you feel bad for but because that high school guy or girl has in their mind, oh, I got through 400 at whatever number. I can hold this. I'm running this for a mile. Sure. So take the 440. Uh, that's a good enough high school miler mm -hmm. at 440 who wants to be next level and wants to be competitive in his league and believes that takes, let's say, 430 in his conference. Well, that's the difference between running 70s and running 67 and a halfs. Mm -hmm. If you're realistically a guy who's running 70s and you come through in 62 after the first one, mm -hmm. well, 
let's just change the timer and and reset it to how long is it going to take before we blow up yeah and then it's about how do you handle that how do you control that mentally and physically those Mm -hmm. are great lessons if you went out the first one in 68 Mm -hmm. then it (laughs) it might change this whole scenario for this kid in your case sure (laughs) we were looking at between 440 and 5 and you went out in 68 that's right yeah. And what happened? Yeah. Well, I, I wouldn't say I blew up. No. I, I consistently slowed down. You <laughs> faded. You faded and you fought. I did. I did. In a racing situation, it's important that you you get out at the gun. Yeah. You get positioned. Sure. And this is especially significant in that competitive race environment. Mm-hmm. But in both contexts, and particularly when you're time trialing, slowing down the first quarter will allow you to maintain pace better in the third quarter. Sure. That's why we referenced that at the beginning of this episode. Mm -hmm. Because the third quarter is where the problems of the earlier stages of the race manifest themselves for most runners. They might not actually be the source of the problem but they are manifested there. So I recommend being settled to goal effort by the 200 meter mark and and being there for 200 to 400 meters into the race. So if you're a 440 type of runner from 200 to 400 meters, 35 seconds, again, because 70 a lap, would be very reasonable. But it's hard to get back on that after you get out really hard. You have to be good at that. But think about this. If you went, in this example, Mm 33-35, you're probably going to be totally fine for the later laps. The beauty of this is, in most mile races, you could actually run that 33 and let everyone else go out at 30 or whatever else they're doing. And I know we're trying to position ourselves but in most of mile races, you don't actually need to at the beginning yeah. because everyone else is going to make a mistake. Sure. It's at that high level, strategic or at championship racing, that it's more significant. Yeah. Think about Matthew Centrowitz's 2016 Olympic final. It was all about getting to position, controlling inside along the rail after three laps. Mm-hmm. And then the bell lap was just hold off moves maintain position yeah in most mile races there is plenty of time between the first 200 meters of the race and the final lap in which you can get to your position sure but contrary to that we referenced in the intro to the last episode what happened at the golden games when oliver Hoare and justin knight went and no one went with them so you, as one of the other runners in that pack, has to be aware of, sure. is this guy really a threat? Yeah. And what am I comfortable with doing? Mm-hmm. And so that's why I would say a critical question in race mm-hmm. is, are you responding to racing conditions or just reacting to those around you? Yeah. If you get caught reacting, it's too late. And some of those guys got caught reacting because the gap got too big and maybe they weren't comfortable with it. Maybe some of those guys probably just weren't in the condition that they felt it was appropriate. Some of them, it might not have worked with their goals. Some of them might have been using it in a workout within their training. But when that gap gets so big against really good guys, it can be too much to overcome. Yeah. In responding to the circumstance, some things to remember. Don't get comfortable in a slowing pack. 
I think that's true at a lot of distances. Yeah. The only time I really like it might be in a really long race where you might have pressed it just a bit too much, like in a half or a marathon, and you need to gather yourself, tuck in, use them into the wind kind of thing. Yeah. You know, you could be turning into the backstretch in a mile and need to tuck in for 50 meters because it's just brutal conditions. Yeah. I get that. But the mile is so quick. There's not a lot of time to make up where if you if you gave away 75 meters mm-hmm. lollygagging with guys that you're too fast for. Yeah. You got to be ready to position yourself to get to the next group. Position yourself to move would be the next big point in the context of anticipating who moves when, mm-hmm. right? It, obviously people are going to wind it up for the last lap, but know your strengths if you're a what some will say slower twitch oriented runner, you might need to make the move earlier Mm -hmm. or you might need to just go with the guy who you know is going to move and hang on as long as you can. Yeah. Uh, But the early move in the perfect scenario, like 300 meters left so that you get two straights and a turn is a really good place to go. Mm -hmm. It might wind up at the bell. For me, there's a lot of times I've told runners it might be at 500 or even 700 if you know you got to move and just test guys. Mm-hmm. Again, getting you an extra straight yeah. as opposed to curve in your move. Mm-hmm. There's part of me that thinks that as fast as some of these guys are at the, at the best at the top of the world, that it, when we're not in a championship setting, it's almost like they're making that move right from the beginning. Mm. And uh, they're, they're just, they are running hard yeah. from the start. Um, but for us mortals, know your strengths. Beware of the box, too. This can happen on the road if you're doing the downhill mile or if you're on the track. You can get boxed in. Mm-hmm. And so you might want to stay half wide of the guy in front of you so that you're not right behind him up on the rail so that you can move around if you want to. Yeah. Less likely to get pinched. No wind to move. The move on the curve, you better be really confident and really ready to go. It can be very effective if you know like, oh, I can hammer right now and this guy can't match it. It can be a real dud if that guy just holds you off and keeps you out in lane two and you got to run extra meters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It can feel like a slingshot too, though, can't it? It can. And that that is very much an indoor track thing. That's great you brought that up because that was the next point I was going to make. Indoor track can have different tactics as well. If you're on a banked indoor track, it can be that. It's one of my favorite things to hear people yell at a track meet is the slingshot, the curve. It's a great line. Okay. It probably has no relevance for 90% of (laughs) milers who either A, don't know what it means, or B can't actually use that advice yeah. on a track. I don't know um, what it meant either. Yeah, it but just felt right. Yeah, it felt right. That's what you do. You just trust your gut. It feels good. Yeah. Slingshot the curve. That's it. But yeah, on an indoor bank track, I, I can kind of get where you're going with that. Yeah. Those, those are all strategic elements to pay attention to. But if you calm the first lap a little bit and you can better maintain the middle laps... It can be hard for this to register, but slowing the start may actually speed up the entirety of the race. Yeah. Uh, this is still largely a negative split race at the mile. When you go to the 800, it's not anymore. You're going to fade a little bit mm-hmm. to run it really fast and to be competitive at the highest level. Yeah. But the mile still largely is a negative split race. And the people who just hammer that first lap, mm-hmm. the, the guy shooting for five minutes... 75s 
who goes out and runs the first one in 65, it typically doesn't work out. It's not that you've banked time. You've spent a lot of energy. That's right. The woman out there who's trying to break six, run 90s, 88's got a lot better shot. And I get getting out a little faster. There's energy. There's adrenaline. There's Mm -hmm. finding position. That's going to do you a lot better than 78 Mm -hmm. on the first lap. In the long run, you're going to make up for it. And the last lap fastest approach almost always yields the best performance Mm -hmm. in a mile. And then there's a wrinkle to that of a baseline of speed that is necessary at the highest levels to win a competitive event at the mile, 5K, 10K, on the track in those championship-style races, you got to have the wheels to go at the end, regardless Mm -hmm. of how the other laps have played out. Mm -hmm. Last thing, your closing kick is about turnover. It's not about the quote that you hear at the tr- every track meet. Open up your stride. Oh, not slingshot the curve. No. <laughs> okay. That one you can do. <laughs> Open up your stride. No. Yeah. I think focusing more on turning over yeah. is more beneficial. If you got all this energy left to just hammer at the end, what the heck were you doing with it for the last few minutes? Yeah. You sandbagged 1,200 meters. Right. Give it an honest effort. I'll use another analogy. We might teach here in in the closing meters, if you're starting to tie up, if that last 200 is starting to get rough and you made a move and you responded to a move and you need to relax, this is the moment to think about running downhill. Mm. Running downhill is my least favorite analogy other sports use. I watch basketball games now, and every time somebody is driving to the rim, they're going downhill if they're really attacking the rim hard. Mm-hmm. The court's flat. In running, we can actually think about what it means to run downhill. Mm-hmm. And when we run downhill, our arm carriage changes dramatically from what it looks like when we run uphill. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more pump, a lot more drive back when we run hard uphill. Mm-hmm. When we run downhill, we control it a little more. So that's less effort expenditure up top, a more of a relaxation up top. You don't quite look like a sprinter if you're tying up here late in a mile. Maybe you think about just try to turn over quick mm-hmm. and run downhill. Yeah. Finally, know that those pacing tips are valuable for a road race as well, but accommodate, again, as we said with the training, what the terrain looks like. Yeah. Okay. So if you know that, Uh, actually my last 400 is all uphill and my first 400 is all downhill. Yeah. Your first 400 might end up being pretty quick. We got to stay under control, but it might end up being pretty quick Mm -hmm. on the note of downhill races. Again, we want to plug the downville mile Friday, June 11th in Greenville at brewery 85 runsignup.com. We will again have that in the show notes for you. Yep. Also, of course, want to thank our friends at Pace Magazine for the work they do. Check them out. There so many tremendous stories, but in the context of racing coming back, nobody does a better regional race calendar than the folks at Pace Magazine. Mm-hmm. Summer issue will be on newsstands soon. I just revised an article on the Japanese distance running culture in the context of the upcoming Tokyo Olympic marathon. I was lukewarm on it it at first, Mm -hmm. but after a reread, I got a new editor really holding my feet to the fire. Yeah. 
after a reread and some tweaks, I'm excited for it. So I look forward to reading it. As always, Pace Magazine, wonderful publication. Check them out in stores or online. If you're not local, you can get that subscription and get it sent to your home in, I believe, all points on the globe. Yes, I'm sure. <laughs> I think that's how the mail works. Yeah. Before we wrap this up. Please. Why does it feel like when you're running a mile that your your arms have nothing left in them mm. by, I don't know, 200, 300 out? I, I, I felt like my leg, I mean, obviously turnover uh, is either there or, is, or it isn't. But more so than that, I couldn't pump my arms anymore. They felt like heaviest lead. That's great. My advice would be going back to that running downhill analogy for mm-hmm. you and let that relax and not try to be about pumping okay. it. With that said, having been at your time trial, mm-hmm. you still closed pretty hard. So although you faded, you kind of got back on it. Sure. So this would probably be more about better approaching the laps mm-hmm. as we just laid out mm-hmm. for you to have that success and then be able to go to run da- running downhill rather than thinking, I got to scratch and claw to get back on my goal because I yeah. blew up. Yeah. Faded. Excuse me. You didn't blow up. Thank you. Uh, but the simple answer to your question is that that is the acidosis effect of this event that's so challenging. <laughs> it's not just going to go to your legs. Yeah. At some point, there's other places in your body, like your arms, that have to deal with that too. Sure. It is a mind, body, and soul experience. That's right. To run a hard mile. And it affects everyone differently. As we've mentioned on here once or twice, you are a man of a certain level of muscular fitness. That can have impacts, very sure. real impacts, um, as opposed to just a super lean runner. Yeah, okay. And a, a wet noodle of a runner may yeah. have a, a different experience than you. Yeah, I mean, some friends, after doing a couple t- time trials, we just we had some conversations about it, and it, we were surprised at how how much, how heavy our arms felt. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, only a few laps in. Okay, I think it's a, a great point to raise Cosmo because as we said at the beginning of the previous episode in this series, our goal is to take something complex and make it hopefully a little more simple. Mm-hmm. That might not be fair to the event, sure, but hopefully it creates takeaways that people can start to build toward mm-hmm. the full complexity of the event. Yeah, Those pieces translate particularly well for less experienced athletes Mm -hmm. and developmental athletes. And so you're learning that lesson firsthand and we're trying to take the wisdom of your lesson you learned that so many other people have learned. It's much like the rest of life. You kind of have to learn it the hard way. Yeah. Yeah. But these pieces then can be used along with that experience to better approach your next attempt. Right. Yep. That makes sense. That's it for mile 85 of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We've got some exciting stuff coming up around the Olympic trials and Olympics this summer that I cannot wait. We're going to be doing a lot of recording. Oh, yeah. As always, please, if you have questions, secondsflatpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear those or any topics you'd like to get us to dive into. And please, if you've enjoyed the program, on your podcast platform of choice. Subscribe, rate, and review. We will see you next time.
right here on the Seconds Flat Podcast.